0: This is a crowd podcast.
1: We didn't start the fire. The only podcast started by me, Billy Joel.
2: fortune. Sally Ride. Heavy metal suicide. Foreign debts. Homeless vets. Aids. Crack. Bernie Gets. hypodermics on the shore. China's
0: under martial law. Rock and roll and cola wars. I, I can't can take, take it, it anymore. anymore. Well, actually, I can take it. One more episode, Katie. Okay, I can do
2: it. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of We Didn't Start the Fire. <gasps> I pause here. Katie, drum roll, please. <sighs> Because, Katie, as it stands, this is currently our final ever episode of the podcast. That is a number one song that's a skip and a trip round the story of the post-war world. Katie, our guru has been Billy Joel. Our mission has been to feed our heads. And our pledge has been that together we will learn without ever feeling like we're ever really learning. I am Tom Fordyce.
0: I'm still Katie Puckrick.
2: Katie, shall we toast our lobes one more time around the fire?
0: Oh, I feel so sad. I mean, this is this topic today, rock and roll cola wars, I'm not sure if it has the kind of gravitas of, uh, you know, China's <laughs> under martial law. when Eisenhower. AIDS. Uh, moonshot. Charles de Gaulle. It sort of reminds me of, like, this is how we're going out, we're discussing uh, <laughs> We're discussing some advertising strategy of soft drinks, and it, it reminds me a little bit of the time that I thought I was going to die in uh, in Crete on holiday, and I felt like this was such a silly way to go. I was caught in a <laughs> riptide, and I just thought, this is a little pathetic, and I felt a little shy about um, waving to my friends on the beach, and I was about to just submit to the inevitable death when I finally found a little, sort of a, li- a literal lifeline and I, I crawled my way in, into the into the shore. But uh, what I mean is, it just seems like after this big build-up, is that all there is? We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're just going to end on a damp squib. But I bet it's not a damp squib.
2: Never is a damp squib with us, Katie. And I think when I first looked at this line, I was like, is this one lyric? Is it two? Is rock and roll uh, about a film? Which it can't be, because that came out much later. And then we've done a little bit of research, and it is Pepsi against Coke. And it is weaponizing the big stars of the day.
0: It's it's weaponizing the big stars of the day. And after feeling a little meh about the topic, I'm now actually very invested. One thing is, Tom, I realized I don't really know the difference between Coke and Pepsi.
2: Well, you have a treat in store, Katie, because yes. our beloved producer, Fion, has put two different glasses of dark fizzy liquid in front of both of us. Because I believe, Fionn, we're about to try our very own Pepsi challenge.
0: Okay, so I'm reaching for the glass on my left. Okay,
2: I don't know if Fionn has mixed this up. I will also go for the glass on my left. I'm going to give it a quick nose. Okay. That instantly takes me back to being nine years old at my granny's.
0: It smells like (laughs) clean... It's 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 one of these beverages. It's like a cleaning fluid, I can't listen
2: That's so fizzy. Whoa,
0: it's so sweet. It sort of has... It's sort of a, a distinct flavor of nothingness. Like, I, I don't really know how you'd characterize it. <laughs> it disappears
2: it. on your tongue very quickly, doesn't it?
0: Okay, maybe. Number two. So number this two. is
2: simply which one we prefer.
0: I think I like the one on the right more. It's, they're both sweet.
2: I think I know the difference as well, even though I've drunk neither for 30 years.
0: <laughs> it's a little more flaccid somehow. <laughs> and the one on the right has a little more body to it. So they're both uh, they're both similar. But um, I do prefer the one on the right. And do we know which is which? So you're going
2: right. I'm going right. I am saying left, Fionn. Which way has this gone?
0: So before I tell you, which one do you think is Pepsi versus Coke?
2: I think Pepsi is right-hand side, and I think Coke is left.
0: I think that Pepsi is on the left-hand side, and I think Coke (gasps) is on the right-hand side.
2: Can Fionn remember? (laughs) Remember?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. so Tommy, you picked?
2: Coke on the left, Pepsi on the right. I prefer the one on the left.
0: You are correct. <gasps> you are correct. Apparently, I love Pepsi. You, which I, one? Oh, I picked the one on the right. Yeah, that is your Pepsi. Oh, I like Pepsi. Which yeah. one, did you think that was Pepsi? I thought it was Coke. Wait, let me double check.
2: The one on the right.
0: The, the one on the right has more bubbles. I'll it. be able to taste Wait.
2: I'll be able to taste it. I think that's Pepsi. Let me try that one. Okay. So that's the one on the right hand side. You
0: know, this is like when you say a word <laughs> over and over and over again and it loses all meaning. That's the Coke. Oh, I like Pepsi. I think
3: the error I made was your big glass was Pepsi. I thought that was deliberate. And your yeah, and your big glass was Coke. But then I think you drank so much of your Pepsi that. It's
0: <laughs> down <on our> glass. <laughs> but you like Pepsi. You like Coke. Well, you know what? The Pepsi challenge. Uh, I took it, and uh, Pepsi and I triumphed.
2: And overall for We Didn't Start the Fire, Katie, it's a score draw. Does
0: this mean I'm going to have to fight you in the street, Tom Fordyce? I
2: think so, with fists. (laughs)
0: It's going to get ugly. It's going to get very ugly. Okay, so let's bring in an expert on this matter. This is the Rock and Roller Cola Wars. And to be the referee, we have wheeled in the director at Columbia Business School's Center on Global Brand Leadership. He is Matthew Quint, welcome.
3: Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Tom. No pressure here, right? (laughs) Last show of the whole podcast series. (laughs) Yes,
0: (laughs) I know. Okay, well, let's just ignore that and let's just zero in on what the heck does Billy mean by Rock and Roller Cola Wars? It sounds to me like a little bit of a
3: a dance off. The both brands uh, at the time. In the eighties, leading up to you know the song coming out at the end of the decade, we're both using music artists. I mean, it's interesting he used rock and roller because at the time, Coca-Cola primarily for diet coke was using folks like Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin. Really? And Pepsi Mm. is known, and you probably do have the memory of, you know, Michael Jackson, Paula Abdul, uh, Britney Spears, right? So it's interesting, right? Rock and roller, Cola Wars. But if you look at sort of R&B and pop, musicians were generally the ones feeding those advertisements that uh, we may remember from the 1980s and were hot, at the time that the song came out.
2: I've got a feeling, Katie, the rock and roller is simply to rhyme with cola.
0: It trips off the tongue. (laughs) And I'm wondering, Matt, why are pop stars suddenly purveyors of soda pop in the
3: 1980s? What's so interesting, Katie, is that Coca-Cola began using Music stars back in the '60s. Ah. There, there were working with McCann Erickson, their advertising company. Bill Backer uh, is sort of an icon in the industry, and he tied in the idea of. Young music, so does in general, and we'll talk about this more, sort of usually target a younger audience in their advertising and promotions kind of work. So we are talking about, in the 1960s, bands like The Supremes, Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye, Ray Charles, The Who, and The Four Seasons, The Everly Brothers, Roy, or all of those bands adapted the uh, slogan for Coke, things go better with Coke and did Short spots, but also songs. Some of them made the top ten Billboard. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. harmony. Mm,
0: that was what nineteen sixty nine or nineteen seventy that that famous 71. Coke, 71, that famous Coke ad came out, which also
3: hit the Billboard top ten when it came out.
0: And so, tell us about that ad because I think that was something that even people who weren't alive then remember. You weren't alive, Tom. No, Is that but right?
2: I remember Oasis ripping it off for Shaker Maker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So, so Matt, talk us through that ad. What did we see? What did we hear?
3: Yeah. So, th- that came out of both these brands, Coca-Cola more strongly, a total global presence, right? 100 to 200 countries, right? Exactly. All around the world. So, that spun out of kind of this ethos of, you know, the 60s and Vietnam War and, you know, in, in the United States, you know, the challenges of civil rights and all these kind of things. And again, still stemming off this music theme that Coke had been on in the 60s, uh, they also did some of their own additional advertising with songs that they developed, and this sort of spun out once again uh, with McCann Erickson as a unique song. It's actually the story goes that uh, Bill Backer, this, this accountant at McCann, uh, was on a flight delay in Ireland and uh, is his recalling of the story. And he was watching folks in the airport, you know, of all kinds, kind of drinking Coca Cola in this social situation and had these familiar words, let's have a Coke, which was the sort of phrasing he was using at the time, as, you know, a subtle, as he calls it, a subtle way of saying, let's keep each other company for a little while. And that, spun into the lyrical formation in his mind and eventually that song, uh, which, again, was sent out as an advertisement. But uh, fans, radio listeners, began requesting from DJs at the time to keep playing. Like, oh can gosh, you play that Coke a, ad? That's a
0: dream come true for for those uh, Coke executives. And then can you tell us about what we saw in this iconic television advertisement?
3: Yes, yeah, so they got people of all races, creeds, colors, right onto a hill in in Italy. (laughs) It's interesting. It's this peace and love. But uh, my faculty director here at Columbia, Baron Schmidt, also says it looks kind of like they're in military formation simultaneously (laughs) with the way they're arrayed on the hilltop. So that was, again, right? Coca-Cola trying to get into the ethos of the time.
2: Do you know what I found myself wondering, Katie, after our taste challenge, um, with the taste of two colas still glued to our (laughs) teeth and our tongues, (laughs) I found myself thinking what strange beverages they are. It's
0: just such a weird beverage. I mean, it's not recognizably a flavor that occurs in the natural world. And that makes me wonder, Matt, both these drinks were created in the late 1880s. And supposedly, it's a sort of a vague cocktail of lemon and coriander, nutmeg, cinnamon. Do you have any—would you hazard a guess on what it's based on? Or was it just an entirely new invention? Or were olden days people wearing bustles and corsets enjoying these strange, <laughs> abstruse beverages?
3: Well, it's an interesting question. It really ties into the creation of these drinks being by chemists and pharmacists. So they're <laughs> health tonics. Yeah. They were which were yeah. these sort of mix mixture of sweet things and Drugs, essentially. Right. So that the the story goes that John Pemberton, who is the originator of Coca-Cola, the first of the two, was taken by a drink that had become popular in Europe, particularly and then over in the United States called Vin Mariani, uh, developed by the inventor Angelo Mariani, also a chemist uh, who took a Bordeaux and incorporated cocoa leaves into Ah. the production of it, which created cocaine. So it had this energy, refreshing thing. Reportedly, the Pope at the time was a fan and did an endorsement of Vin Mariani. And so supposedly (laughs) Pemberton first developed an alcoholic... Adaptation where he also incorporated the cola nut, which had also been growing in the 19th century as a caffeine-oriented material to put in things to give that caffeine boost, which was sweeter in its underlying flavor than you know, coffee or tea at the time. So these kind of sweet. So he combined essentially that. Coca and cola together into this syrupy drink. Caleb Bradham is the, two years later in in 1888, developed Pepsi-Cola. He used pepsin, was his... Unique element mixed with the cola. He did not have. And what Coca. is
0: pepsin? What is pepsin?
3: It's interestingly a digestive enzyme. Wow. But yes,
0: I mean basically all of these are glorified speedballs. They're like puppy <laughs> uppers and doggy downers. You knock it back and you it slows your roll, but it gives you a little lust for life at the same time. And they
3: were they were spun out of both these being chemists and pharmacists, right? The soda fountain. Hmm. Right. That was where they they their products and their livelihoods was spent in a pharmacy, oh, which course. at the yeah. time had these syrups that were poured into a glass, of which then carbonated water was poured into it, and they were stirred together, and you drank it. And so that ethos of like this social drink that people are having led to this urge to create something new, something healthy, something that would help not just be sweet and sugary but also aid your health and energy (laughs) and be addictive slightly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Only slightly. (laughs) So by the time we get to this period in the late 1980s, Matt, I was going to ask how the companies choose the stars, but also are the stars doing it just for the dollar?
3: Recording companies and distributors make way more money on the sales of music (laughs) than the artists themselves do. So no doubt, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that financial elements were the strongest reason. I think that probably each of them also had historical affection, right? I mean, you you know, Tom, you're like, it takes me back to being nine years old, right? And that, I'm sure for some of them, There was an element of that as well. They had an an affection for either Coke or Pepsi. Uh, You know, supposedly Michael Jackson was approached by Coca-Cola. Possibly the reason he didn't say yes to them on a couple of occasions was because he was a Pepsi fan and was kind of waiting hoping that Pepsi might reach out to him.
2: When you, Katie, have watched some of these adverts back in the past few days, what have your thoughts been? Because I watched the George Michael Diet Coke one. And we're familiar with the sort of the career arc of George Michael where he leaves Wham and he releases um, Faith and then he gets rid of it and he wants to get rid of that whole image. In the advert, he is never more George Michael Faith or Faith George Michael than in this advert because he's got the cowboy boots. He's got a massive set of spurs on both cowboy boots. He's got the tight jeans. He's got a cropped jacket with a lot of rhinestone going on. It's the antithesis of Listen Without Prejudice which will be the next, you know, when he strips it back down and, you know, so it's almost like, it's almost like caricature. Like
0: he's doing the cartoon version of himself. I guess when I was looking at the Michael Jackson Pepsi one, and that's one where he's uh, sort of benignly mentoring a young person as opposed to the other version of whatever he was up to, uh, possibly, allegedly I don't know, although I did see him with some children once at a mall in Las Vegas and I said hello to him. That was fun, anyway. But when I saw the uh, the Pepsi ad and he and he's sort of encouraging the the young people to do some Michael Jackson moves, I felt like it was very anodyne and safe. And I mean, I don't want to say sellout because it's not like Michael Jackson was ever going to be some sort of edgy, uh, you know, niche artist or anything. But it, it felt like in order to satisfy the master, which is the corporation of Pepsi he was also having to kind of just bland out his art a little bit. And I'm wondering if these artists, whether it was Tina Turner or Madonna, George Michael or Michael Jackson, did they have any reservations about throwing their lot in or were they just after the the filthy lucre?
3: I, nothing i have come across talks about their angst again as i was talking back with coca-cola like the who david bowie i mean the, the rolling stones have done i mean the the number so the history of music involved in these brands particularly coca-cola and then pepsi right it gave them permission in a way mm. not to feel like they were be they were sellouts and i think because of the social nature, right? Why are these? They're just, it's sugar water. (laughs) These are multi-billion dollar businesses, you know, global, like the biggest, literally the biggest brands in the world. And it's just selling sugar water. And yet it's this ethos and this lifestyle. And it's because it's a particular product that we consume in all sorts of settings and at all times of day. And it creates that social vibe and music is highly social. And I think that, that it's like, where are there these fits, right? When we talk a lot about how do brands work with lifestyle issues, you got to have a fit. The brand needs to be able to speak to that lifestyle it's trying to portray. And, you know, cola and music just seem to go together really nicely.
2: This is an advertisement from Better Help Therapy Online. Hello Fire listeners, it's Tom here, I hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about better help. We all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people we talk about in this series definitely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way that your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and you can switch therapists at any time For no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Fire listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash WDSTF. As in, we didn't start the fire. So, that is betterhelp.com slash WDSTF. Eat stress-free this spring with Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals. Always fresh and never frozen, each meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. I eat flexitarian, so with a weekly menu of 35 options, there's plenty for me to choose from. So, last night I had the Moroccan-style almond-crusted salmon, and it was absolutely delicious. These are no-fuss, no-mess meals. Factor eliminates the hassle of prepping, cooking or cleaning up. Simply heat and savour the good stuff. With over 60 add-ons like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and smoothies, there's plenty of options to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. Plus, you can customise your weekly meals and pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com/wdstf50 and use the code WDSTF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code WDSTF50 at factormeals.com/wdstf50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Which of the artists involved in this case are you most surprised by? Because I've been looking at the David Bowie stuff. And considering how we think of Bowie now, the fact that he released a single that you could get called Coca-Cola Planet and that the advert featured a very Bowie silhouette of him draining one of the quintessential glass bottles i find that slightly shocking
0: well the thing about david bowie is that he was always a very canny artist and always had his eye on the prize i don't think that he i mean he was totally happy to push boundaries but he was also completely happy to have a hit that's why he that's why he brought in our man now rogers to uh zhish up the album that became let's dance because he wanted a hit so he wasn't uh backwards and coming forward on wanting Success like that.
3: Put
2: on your red shoes and dance the blues.
3: <laughs> there's a great, there's a documentary where Niles interviewed um, and he talks about why did you, David, why did you come to me? And, and he's, he's like, what do you want me to do here? Right. Knowing that his style of music that he'd been producing and what David had been doing was not a natural match. And he said, I want you to do what you do make me hits that's
0: right make me hits now
3: bowie that's not he 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 has several different ads over his the course of his life his his entry into the soda advertising is more you know was later but he's kitsch, and i think that worked for right that's the thing david bowie's right this universal david bowie and prince are these unique universally loved by everyone and all they it's like they could not fail anything they did they gave sort of class and credit to partly because they they were also Iconically, not blending into what was standard at the time, and it gave them permission. But we're so pop, right? We're so wrote yeah. such great, catchy melodies and tunes that they again, it's these unique things where you get these these permissions to do this stuff. I, you know, like the Who for me is the. But they did a whole like the Who sells out, right? They did a whole album yes. spun off of a couple of these commitments they made. But again, right? You got to feel sympathy. Music artists generally make their money from touring, which is a brutal day in, day out lifestyle to lead. So opportunities like this, to just sit around for a day and do a recording of something and make a few million but you know, hundreds of thousands maybe bad and yeah. off to millions as we're talking about the eighties and nineties. Just why would why how could you turn that down?
0: And also the thing is, and you touched on this before, these are two iconic brands. And so in fact, it elevates an artist, I would have thought, in a way to align themselves with something that is just seen as part of American culture and part of the American dream. And I'm wondering, do you think that coconut? Pepsi would have become the iconic brands that they are without advertising.
3: I don't think any brand can become iconic. I'll give Starbucks as a possible exception uh, without advertising, right? We're talking about you literally can find a few brands ever in the history who have become iconic without advertising. So, yes, very commonplace. I mean, their initial spread, right, what made them popular over the course of their first couple of decades to be available, not just throughout the U.S., but very quickly, globally, I think was because of sort of the soda fountain chemist pharmacist background to this, right? You know, Pemberton developed Coca-Cola, but he died shortly after creating it and sold it to a wholesale pharmacist. And so he had these connections throughout all these pharmacies around the Georgia area, but as well outside of that. And so that sort of spread, That's sort of that origin of these brands coming out of the soda fountain, the pharmacy, and then eventually bottlers who were uh, doing other things and saw the way these things were popular, especially again, Coca-Cola having cocaine in it, small amounts, but still, you know, up until 1903, right, that initial spread across the United States that occurred within, you know, a dozen years after it came out, uh, led to the bottling happening. And then they pushed and, you know, drinks were these These are, you know, People liked having a cold, refreshing drink um, as part of, like I said earlier, every part of your life may include a moment of release, a cheap, relatively moment of release and joy by having a sweet cold drink and, you know, boom, it explodes. So advertising creates that top of mind kind of thing to have people choose a so, this weird syrupy sweet <laughs> thing that doesn't have any corollary flavor that we think of in normal life versus something like, a, a, you know, a lie, like lemonade with carbonation in it, right? So that's where the advertising helped. That's where the connection to celebrity culture, right? The first, one of the very first celebrity endorsements was Joan Crawford. She was a Coke and celebrity endorser in 1933.
2: Wow. Do we need to set all this in the context of the Ferrari over new Coca-Cola in the middle
3: of the 1980s. Talk us through that. Generally, for most of their time period up until today, Coca-Cola, dominant leader. And up until about 1970, very dominant leader, like five to one. So all of that going on, Pepsi is this challenger brand, right? Throughout the whole time, leading into this sort of shift that goes on as they come up with this idea of doing the Pepsi challenge. The idea was particularly in Dallas, they were seeing in Texas, their market share was horrible. One of the worst step for a very large state in the US, their worst market share. And that was sort of the implication was they knew, and actually if you read the stories about it, you know, Coke representatives kind of knew at the time too, if you just tasted the two blind, (laughs) people liked Pepsi better. A little bit, not everyone, right? Everyone has different, but it was, you know, 60-40, 55-45, right? You guys split. That's kind of what it was with a little more Pepsi than Coca-Cola. So the Pepsi challenge begins really the wars, right? That's really what starts Pepsi getting into the mindset of the public in a different way, seen as this battler and challenger, right? And it's successful and they're doing well and they've spun off these live tastings and advertising about these live tastings and it becomes a buzz and the media is talking about it and on and on. Underlying that is Coke's realization, like we could be in trouble because people really do prefer the taste. And so behind the scenes, they went about two years is what I've read being formulating what became this launches new Coke, you know, they could have just done it subtly, just sort of (laughs) changed the flavor, right? You guys are looked at blind taste test. You're like, which one? And they're different a little bit, but I don't know. And you it Coke or is it, I mean, you know, they could have subtly changed the flavor. What people, once they saw the red, their mindset would have been, I'm drinking a Coke and they probably would have never noticed, but they felt this need to like, Have this public announcement like the Pepsi Challenge. So they made it big. And that's where you get right into the distinction between the functional elements of a product and the mindset we have about the product, right? Because the fun like flavor wise people, they'd done all their testing. People preferred the new Coke to the existing coke if they did blind taste tests.
0: That's so interesting. so they actually liked the new Coke.
3: They did that was I mean, they tested it. They didn't do this because out of a total whim without any commitment, they had been testing this new formula. They knew people preferred it. But that moment of taking this, this brand, this icon, this thing that I loved and changing it, crushed people. I mean, it became front page of the it news. Was, it was
0: almost like a betrayal of sorts. That's
3: exactly right. That is what people felt. I love your, love this product. I love who you are and you've changed your formula. I want no part of it. I'm fine if you create Diet Coke. I mean, they had Tab for years, which we don't really talk about much Is the first diet drink. I'm okay with you adapting and creating a new thing, but somehow that thing that I bought and loved, you've changed, was ananthema.
0: I'm so interested in the idea of the emotions that are attached to these inanimate objects. And I know it's because, you know, people, they're almost like part of the family. You know, whenever there's a gathering of the family or your friends, you're drinking one of these beverages usually. And I'm wondering if the fact that music was involved when we're talking about these rock and roller color wars. And I mean, the fact that Madonna actually debuted her like a prayer song and video with, for Pepsi. I mean, I wonder if that was just the ultimate, do you think in mashing together all of these emotion triggering things, whether it's music and whether it's uh, comestibles drinkables.
3: Every brand is trying to come up with something emotional to tie you into. And music has been historically a part of, of these pop, like any, all the brands that spent a lot of money. I mean, soap brands, all these kind of things. But, like, could Aretha Franklin have done a Pepsi ad? Sure. Right? Versus Coca-Cola. I don't think there's not too much about the brands, although you could argue, right, from the core perspective, if you look at them, and it's interesting as you look at advertising over time, they mimic and copy each other. Yeah. One of them does a youth thing for a while. The other one does youth. One of them did uh, you know had their country cowboy boots in the fifties and sixties? Their cowboy boots and and hats ads, and then the other one did their cowboy boots <laughs> and cowboy hat ads. And so they there is a lot of overlap if you actually look at it over the course of time. But we think of Coke as sort of happiness and nostalgia, you know, in our modern era, right? Is where they've gone, and Pepsi as youth, young, fun energized. So
0: so Pepsi's looking forward and Coca's looking back and that's broadly. Um so today every dime store teen TikTok influencer styles himself as a brand, but that wasn't the case in the in the 1980s and I'm wondering did did that association help Madonna and Michael Jackson? Did did that was there a boomerang effect and and did that help their careers?
3: Anytime you are placed in front of lots of people, you're going to get an increase in some fashion to your sales or revenue, right? So every one of these stars being on the airwaves in an additional fashion through this advertising only created more of a mindset, you know, for people to think about uh, these artists and therefore buy their albums or request their songs, you know, from DJs on the radio.
2: I wonder as well, Katie, because that Madonna track, Like a Prayer that you referenced, is was actually at the time quite considered quite transgressive, wasn't it? Because of you know there is a lot of religious iconography, as there always is with Madonna, but there is the kissing of a black Jesus, which yeah. in 1989 was quite the thing.
0: It was quite the thing, yeah. Waxy, waxy black uh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a statue that comes to life uh, in a Sleeping Beauty. And, and She's
2: sort of in jail, but not in jail. She's in a church with a gospel like, choir.
0: She's having it every which way but loose. <laughs> ba- she's like f- cavorting around, um, you know, a field of burning crosses, wearing a. Sl- let slip. And it's all very intoxicating. I'm playing with fire here, but um, Matt, the phony baloney culture war era that Americans are currently enjoying, I'm wondering how these two brands would position themselves or reflect the divisions happening in American culture today, because like the Madonna kissing a black Jesus would be seen as intolerably woke by the fragile white nationalists. I mean, I'd like to teach the world to sing. That would not go down very well. Uh, with Which people.
2: tune are you going to teach this world to sing?
0: <laughs> no. There'd be some book banning. There'd be some problems. But how do brands like Coke and Pepsi, how do they tiptoe through the tulips with these sort of uh, fissures that are happening in society?
3: Yeah, I th- obviously, I think we we see that it changes over time and even within a few years, right? The, the permission to tackle something in society grows and wanes um, and has historically in the way that Coca-Cola had a huge hit with, I'd like to teach the world to sing, right? Um, At a time in which there were also people who were very angry about anti-war protests, about the civil rights movement. I mean, that was not a time when it was necessarily easy to say, hey, peace and love, right? I mean, there were a lot of angry members of the public that were angry at the time in doing that, and yet Coke turned it into a huge success. And we've seen failures of that too, right? Most recently, you're you're talking about it now, but the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad that you guys may have remembered coming out. And Pepsi gained its notoriety in the 30s when it went to a 12 ounce bottle for, five, for a nickel instead of a six ounce bottle for a nickel, as Coca Cola did. So the growth of Pepsi, which really had had gone bankrupt twice prior to 1931 was that it tapped in with that pricing change. And so it became something that, you know, poor people bought more because it was less expensive. Spun out of that, there was a racial affection within PepsiCo. Challenged at times, right? Because it was controvert, right? We don't want to be associated as the black brand of soda because maybe that'll turn off white people, right? I mean there was that those debates went on in the hallways of PepsiCo, but they committed more. And so I think based on that ethos over time as you know prior to the the grown the growing protests and the the full effect we've had since pandemic, but there were again Black Lives Matter type protests going on and Pepsi felt with our history, this is a place that we can play and you know they got a star, Kendall Jenner, to come and do a kind of peace and love ad. But it failed tremendously. Uh, And I think it failed tremendously uh, in two ways. One on execution. It was it was sort of cheesy. I mean, the reality was it, it didn't have the grit, like the beauty of a bunch of singers on a hillside was it was separated from a protest, whereas the Kendall Jenner ad tried to display a protest but in a not seemingly angsty, angry, tense way. And again, does Pepsi have the right to be commenting on this? Does Kendall Jenner the right person to be comment, right? So, oh, it just, how did it not, how did they even put it out?
0: She effectively brings world peace by uh, offering a Pepsi. That's
3: right, exactly. And it was sort of lambasted and they pulled the ad really quickly because, you know, it just didn't work in the same way New Coke, right? Talking of
2: playing with fire, Matt, was it a Pepsi or filming a Pepsi commercial when Michael Jackson suffered those burns?
3: <laughs> that was, yeah, round two. So the first one was this adaptation of Thriller. Uh, and the second one, uh, I forget what the ad was called, Community or something like that. And yeah, it was Pyrotechnics lit his hair on fire and Pepsi, you know, luckily they, they stamped it out. He went to the hospital. He was fine, had some surgery, although he blames his... Drug addiction to that incident over the long term didn't come out right away, but he began to talk about that was the first I got painkillers, and that was sort of what led me onto the becoming a drug addict. But at the time, again, hit the news. They got lots of earned media of it, and they, you know, attention and love of Pepsi grew as much from the hair as it did from using the star in their ads.
2: Katie, we've discussed a lot about these two brands, and I'm just looking at the the bottles on the table in front of us that um, we use in in our blind taste test. And even the fact that one is red and one is blue separates them off, doesn't it? I just wonder, Matt, as someone who, as I've mentioned last, had either of these beverages at the age of nine, do consumers tend to be either a Coke person or a Pepsi person, or do people switch from one
3: to the other and back again? Uh, again, data on this seems to be mostly people love one or the other um, and get angry, right? A lot of the new Coke, the reaction to new Coke.
0: <laughs> I, I'm so fascinated by the idea that advertising is a, a form of not so subtle brainwashing and. I'm wondering going forward with these brands what what do you see in how they're positioning themselves because like you say Coca-Cola seems to be largely about looking back nostalgically and Pepsi seems to be about looking into the future and right now particularly in America it's such a polarized country. And people are, are very interested more than ever in taking sides. It's like the whole country is having a Pepsi challenge, um, you know, in terms of culture wars. Uh, how do you see these brands continuing? Do you think they're going to keep on enlisting rock stars and pop stars? Or are we going to move on to influencers or maybe politicians?
3: Oh, politicians would be fascinating. That that would be a whole, th- the, the quote unquote, don't touch the third rail of just politics itself, right? Which, is largely broken and exactly what we're talking about <laughs> incorporating a politician into it would be a, would be a whole nother ballpark of things that would be crashing the train entirely. I don't expect either of these two brands, particularly with the what happened with the Pepsi Kendall Jenner ad. I don't think either of these two brands that are essentially neutral, in, at this point in their lives, in terms of you know their political ethos, are going to get onto the culture, touch the culture rail too much. They will touch pop music. They will use influencers uh, up until, you know, what happened with uh, Anheuser-Busch, you know, Bud Light. Who is and the, Dylan. the
0: uh, trans
3: influencer? Well, she was, they, they were, you know, again, in a thing where Bud Light's trying, recognizing that generally beer sales are going down. The society's changing. They're looking to target new stakeholders, right? New people who might be interested. And so when you do that, you... Pick some different themes and people that relate to those. So they were like, "Hey, the LGBTQ plus community, we want to adapt to that more." All they did was send a can with you know her picture on it, and she did one quick little moment about saying, "Hey, join this contest. It's cool to see my face on a can." Right? This was not some national, global advertising switch. I mean, that's that's the level we're at, which is what makes it you know more impactful and trickier. Right. You know, you can have a brand like Patagonia, who, you know, in 2020, on the label of one of their products, which, of course, went viral via social media, had vote the assholes out on their tag. You know, Patagonia is a beloved brand by both Republicans and Democrats. But again, that could have been controversial. That could have gotten Patagonia Republicans to start burning Patagonia. But no, they no went fine. That was fine. Why did Pat, you know, Patagonia could do that. I think Coca-Cola and Pepsi because they their ethos is social, being together, yes. being happy. both of them fun, happiness, socialization, like that's what they're about, the lifestyle of your everyday fun life and I don't think either of them are going to get too deep into the culture wars at this point.
0: So throughout this entire song, Billy travels the world. He travels across countries, across cataclysmic events, um, reviews various world leaders, their successes, their failures, their crimes. And it occurs to me that Coca-Cola in particular is really a symbol of America. And do you know, Matt, if it still carries a a cachet or, or kind of like a a statue of liberty, torch of hope in other countries? Because it used to be kind of Coke and Mickey Mouse were the two symbols of America that sort of symbolized democracy and freedom.
3: Yeah, I think we're past that now. I mean, I think we're past that (laughs) mostly because, right, the world, as the internet came and the world went from being a large place to a quote-unquote small place, right, where no matter where you were around the world, your message could get out there and become something that everyone around the world knew about, that that separation of sort of iconic brands representing a national symbol, they still, there's still place branding. There are brands that are tied to the place they are in. I think Coca-Cola is still tied into America as a brand, despite the fact that it's been global for over 100 years now, but it's not, doesn't have the sense of sort of freedom, maybe that it would have, I think, because brand America is undergoing <laughs> its challenges right now in the global marketplace. So brands strongly associated with America are have lost that kind of cachet. The power of the American brand has, has dipped. So. Well,
2: Katie, you've made me think there when you talk about Coca-Cola as a representation of all that America has been and can be. So actually it feels really quite a fitting topic for our final episode.
0: I think so, too. Matthew Quint, thank you so much for being such a fantastic storyteller and putting a little muscle and sinew in what I previously thought was a somewhat flaccid topic. You brought it to life.
3: Well, thank you so much, Katie and Tom, for having me. Congratulations on episode 120 and uh, putting a button on uh, what I'm sure will be an enjoyable historic Look at history and mob culture for everyone over time. You
4: know it. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. Plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast, and my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence The attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts Podcast. It's a series of lives being saved.
1: Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts Podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: well katie this is usually the part of the show when we reflect on the single episode that we have just recorded yes it's slightly different today it's
0: a little bit different it's it's kind of strange it's bittersweet a little bit like my pepsi which is (laughs) which is almost finished um I, i am a pepsi girl you're a fiend i am a fiend this is our final episode billy saw fit To stop at topic 120, and uh, that's it for us.
2: Yeah. And, Casey, we have had a number of questions and topics and thoughts from our lovely listeners.
0: I know. The listeners are so great. They're so invested. We couldn't have done it without you
2: guys. Linda has asked, I like this one, what our favorite moments from the show would be. Yeah, what are you thinking about that? Do you know what? I was thinking back this morning to... An episode where it was one of those words that, A, we couldn't say, I'm not, still not sure I can say it, but we definitely didn't know what it was beforehand, which was Panmunjom. Oh, yeah. And we had ah. the lovelin ah. Colin Thackeray come in yes. in his full Chelsea pensioner's red tunic and sang some beautiful songs to us in the studio. He
0: he was a veteran of the Korean War, uh, still going strong in his 90s, uh, looking sharp in that uniform and singing his heart out. And my gosh, what a hero. That guy was so fun. And you've just reminded me, Tom, one of the things that's so wonderful about doing this show is that... We have been lucky enough to talk to some of the participants in these events and our Berlin episode. Oh,
2: the love story.
0: The love story where she helped her future husband escape from East Berlin. It was cloak and dagger. It was total spy film stuff. It was thriller diller. And so anyone who hasn't heard that, go back and listen to that Berlin episode because we have the couple who were reunited and the young man who helped smuggle out the future husband.
2: Getting a bit throat lumpy thinking about that one, Katie. Here is a question from George. George asks a question that we frequently ask ourselves, Katie, in our coffee breaks. (laughs) Is there anything major you think was missed? I've got a little bit of a list here.
0: Yeah, you have a list. I know this This is something that you kvetch about on uh, from time to time. Tell me what you have on your list.
2: Well, I've got Muhammad Ali. Yeah, First and foremost, I've got yeah. Muhammad Ali. We get quite a few boxers, but we don't get the most iconic yeah. boxer of all time. And think about Muhammad Ali. Is There are so many different ways you could get him in. You could get him in as Cassius Clay when he's winning Olympic gold and beating Sonny Liston. You could get in the anti-Vietnam War protests. You could get any number of epic sporting contests. I wonder too, Katie, we obviously had our Beatles reference with the lovely Mark Lewison. Yeah. You probably could have squeezed in more Beatles once as the biggest and greatest band of all time. You probably, in a very sad note, might have referenced the assassination of John Lennon in 1980.
0: Yeah. And maybe,
2: thinking about all things music in the 80s, as you and I like to do a lot of the time. Yes, we do. Where the hell is Live Aid?
0: Yeah, Live Aid isn't in there. Was Billy asked to... Wow. Pre- uh, okay. Billy
2: didn't appear at Live Aid. Here's okay. what he says about it, Katie. I was going to participate in Live Aid. Yeah. I just couldn't get all the guys in my band together. Yeah. And I tell you, to go out in the stadium and just play the piano is a little bit rough. So maybe that's why Live Aid doesn't get a mention.
0: Yeah, I, he, that, that's... I don't know how plausible that is. That's that's like me going, I was going to play Live Aid too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, and then I just felt like, you know, I couldn't get the band together. Really? Really, Billy? I'm not sure. Okay, so my big question mark being my bonnet moment is why the heck did Billy leave out Andy Warhol? I think there should have been more art in there. And Andy Warhol is somebody who touches all manner of pop culture in the 60s. He sort of single-handedly invented people as a brand. He invented reality television the way he would just turn the camera on and point it at the proto influencers who were who styled themselves as superstars in his factory yeah i think Andy Warhol would have been a a, a good moment a good episode
2: definitely question from Nigel I'm going to, in fact I'm going to read Nigel and Roger's questions together because I think they may end up combining in our minds mm. Nigel's question favorite episode and favorite guest Roger's question which episode surprised you the most
0: Okay so yeah hi Nigel um, I loved our Einstein guest
2: David Bedanis
0: David Adonis. David Adonis, Fun to say, fun to listen to, so passionate, so fun-loving. Not surprised to find out that he used to be a children's television host.
2: I think you, you took a slight shine to him over the I course took of that a,
0: I do sort of slightly fall in love with all of our guests. I, I get a little bit of a crush on them because I love anyone who has a big brain and who is excited about their topic.
2: Excellent choice, Katie. I would also throw in, I think, as favorite guests, um, I always loved it when we had Margaret McMillan. <gasps>
0: on. Oh, yeah. Talk about crush, I mean, and talk about a big brain. Uh, she's somebody who is well across her subject. She was H-bomb and she was the queen mm-hmm. as well. England's got a new queen. England's got a new queen. She just knows her stuff. Oh, and what about her lovely nephew,
2: Mr. Dan Snow.
0: Okay, so he, I have a crush on him as well. It, basically, doing this podcast is a <laughs> chance for me just to have like heart eyes at everybody who's so smart and interesting.
2: I think he was our Including first. Including you. Thank you, Katie. I think he was our first guest to come to the studio in shorts as well. Um, <laughs> Katie, it would be remiss at this point not to mention Dr. Cara Robway.
0: Oh, she's the champion. She's done the most episodes of any of our experts.
2: And we also need to give a shout out, of course, on that same topic to Josh Chetwind.
0: Oh, Josh.
2: Who picked you up and carried you through the battlefield that is baseball. Baseball.
0: You know what? I still wake up in the middle of the night feeling a little bit bad that I gave him a hard time and I hope he's not waking up in the middle of the night cursing my name. But I I used to kind of pretend that I wasn't that interested in baseball and I think I was sort of over-egging that dramatic performance because he always made it so interesting.
2: Yeah. Question from Bobby, Katie. Any underrated episodes that everyone needs to listen to? We always think of a certain polyester
0: fabric. Dacron, it's so compelling. And, and of course, it was Dr. Carr Rodway. So she's always going to be putting the pep in the step. She's going to be putting the tiger in the tank of, of, of any episode that you might be tempted to overlook. But Dacron, there's just something about uh, the idea of better living through chemistry, the idea that World War II was over and life in America was going to be nirvana and fabric that you never had to wash ever again was going to help us achieve that.
2: So, Katie, this is the plan. We have reached the end of 120 episodes of We Didn't Start the Fire. So we're finishing for now, but maybe we're just pausing. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? You and I may be back together again on air sooner than people think. Uh, keep yeah. your eyes peeled. Keep your ears open to this feed.
0: I would keep your ears and other body parts just clamped, clamped to your <laughs> to your device just in case we just pop up.
2: And before then we want to offer A huge thank you. We want to thank our listeners, Katie. We want to thank anyone who's ever emailed us. Thank you. Anyone who's sent us letters. Thank you. The ones who sent us aprons. Thank you. Those who have given us guest suggestions or come on the show. Oh,
0: yes. Thank you for that.
2: James, whose wife gave him fire-themed Christmas presents because, in his words, he wouldn't shut up about the podcast.
0: Well, I'm going to thank James's wife, not James, for that. I
2: like it. Guy, who set up a Wikipedia page just for the show, updates every week.
0: He's a saint. He's a hero. Crowd
2: Network, all our producers, Fionn and Anna.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Looking lovingly at them through the window, blowing kisses. And a huge thank you from Tom Fordyce and Katie Puckrick to Billy Joel.
2: Billy, some people doubted you. Occasionally, Katie and I doubted you. (laughs) I doubt you no longer. Billy, you had no idea what you were setting us loose on. And it has been fantastic. So, Billy, thank you. And Katie, there is one other person I would like to thank. Oh, okay. And that is Katie Putkrick. And I've got you a little something to say thanks for sitting with me for 120 episodes. I'm passing over to you now. Okay. Because I'm a man, I haven't wrapped it. It's simply in the envelope that it arrived in.
0: It's a brown cardboard unmarked envelope, and I'm pulling it out. And it's a 45 (laughs) record of We Didn't Start the Fire by a man named Billy Joel. And this is a very, very thoughtful record. And uh, this is a very thoughtful present to give me, but I'm wondering if the other box that you haven't shown me yet has a record player in it. (laughs) Because I don't have one.
2: Well, Katie, I thought that we knew the song well enough that you didn't actually (laughs) need to play it anymore. But now you've got your own Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire Keepsake Forevermore.
0: Oh, thank you. It's just been such a pleasure working with you and it's only the beginning.
2: And we have got something else for you, Katie, as well, which Fionn is just bringing to the (laughs) studio. A small envelope. And I'm glad you said what you said a little while ago. If you just want to pull that open... Envelope like open and describe to the listeners what you're okay. seeing.
0: Okay, so this is fantastic. So um this is a greeting card. It has a drawing of, of <laughs> Andy Warhol in front of his Marilyn Monroe uh, triptych, and he's saying, WTF Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Aww, aw, and notes from Fionn and Anna are stalwart producers. Uh thank you guys.
2: So, Katie, that is the end for now. Let's finish with a message from listener James. This is what James has written in. James says, I worry what I'll do when the fire part of my life ends. Me too. Well, let me just say, I have already realized, I would just go back to episode uh, one and start again. Easy. James says, thanks again for a great show. It's been a great pleasure uh, to share the journey well, with you all.
0: Well, you know what? Obviously, we would do this in a darkened room all on our own with a different expert every week. But the thing that makes it important and wonderful is that you all get to share it with us. So thank you for making We Didn't Start the Fire a community community. community and a communion
2: we'll see you all soon
0: crowd network
2: a place where you belong